Cura, this program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Wellington Access Radio, make your voice heard. Welcome back to B-Side Stories on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. Um, you were just listening to Christine Langdon doing her first ever interview, which went brilliantly, with Dee Glentworth from Free For All. What an amazing, inspiring woman that she was. Um, giving away things to people for free. Check her out, Free For All on Facebook. Now, I'm talking to Alan Byrne, who is hard to describe because um, he's many things. <laughs> he is a sculptor slash model maker, an entomologist, that's insects, and he's an actor. Is that right? You looked a bit doubtful. You are an entomologist, right? So, yeah, I guess. Oh, I haven't turned you up. Sorry. There we go. <laughs> uh, yes, I guess, sort of. Hi, Alan. Hi. How are you? <laughs> uh, well, okay. Maybe I'm thinking with you because you've done so many things in your life. That maybe we'll just go chronological. Okay. <laughs> you were born? Where were you born? I was born in Malaysia, in Kuala Lumpur, or just outside of Kuala Lumpur. Ah, how did you end up being, your family end up being in Malaysia? Uh, well, my grandfather was a botanist who worked on rubber plantations. And my father, um, <clears throat> he was born in South Africa, and he uh, either stowed away or hopped on board a ship when he was very young, when he was about 17, and, and worked his way over to uh, Malaysia, or Malaya as it was then, and um, he had quite the adventurous life. He was a, all, all manner of things, and he ended up being a, a, a tin mining engineer via being a prisoner of war on the death railway uh, during the Japanese occupation. And... Um, he was married and his wife was killed in an ambush um, and he was assessing the damage to the vehicle when he met my mother who was a very precocious younger woman who thought that he was somebody working at the garage um, looking at somebody else's misfortune that and so like he movie. yeah and so he he filled her car up with petrol sent her on her way and then it turned out that he he ended up being uh, their neighbor and then they met and um, got married eventually, and 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 my brother and I were the product of that. Right. Was your brother also born in Malaysia? Yeah, I think so. So he's older, right? He's he's about nine years older than me. Yeah. Right. Okay. And how long did you spend? Long enough to remember anything? No, that? I was only there for a couple of years. My dad died when I was very young. Right. And um, to cut a long story short, we moved back to the UK, or the family moved back to the UK. It was my first trip there. So yeah. I, probably showed up in the UK when I was about two or three. Right, so you're basically English, you would feel English. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, where were you brought up in the UK? Um, initially in Devon, in a place called Exmouth, which is uh, sort of seaside, or just out, I lived in a woodland near a seaside town called Exmouth, which is quite close to Exeter, which I suppose is the biggest landmark in that area. And then perhaps... Um, ten years after that, I moved to Cornwall, a tiny little village in the middle of the of the moors. Oh, that sounds very romantic. Yeah, it was pretty isolated. It was it was cool. I mean, it was a it was a nice place to grow up. Perhaps a little bit dull as a teenager, but um, still a nice place to grow up nonetheless. Yeah. 
So did you move out as soon as you grew up? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I, I moved to London. Right. And what yeah. did you do in London? Well, so the story goes that I want—I always wanted to be an actor. That was my main sort of interest was being was was acting. And I did auditions for drama schools when I was about sixteen or seventeen. I think I did you know, um, Central School of Speech and Drama and RADA and a number of them. And I got recalled for all of them, and they all said, "Well, we would take you, but you're too young. So go away and get some life experience." And I thought, "Well, okay, I'm going to go and work on the." Uh, on the stage door in a theatre in London and I'm going to get that experience and I'll be discovered because I was 16 or 17. And uh, that didn't happen. I ended up working in a pub, as probably most actors that go to London without any real training do. And um, to cut a very long story short, I ended up meeting uh, a person. I actually fished him out of the toilet. He passed out drunk and uh, I put him in a taxi and... Um, sent him home, he was a regular, and uh, it turned out that he was one of the people that did the finishing on the robots for Star Wars. And he was quite amazed, this was Wandsworth in the sort of late 80s, he was quite amazed that I didn't just take his wallet and leave him on the street, he thought that was most uncharacteristic for a barman in, in, in Wandsworth. And so we got to be quite friendly, and I'd been doing some sculpting, and he saw my sculpting and said, oh, I could probably find you some work, and I thought, well... Pubs in London are full of people that make promises to you for various things, and so I thought nothing of it. And then about two weeks later, I got a phone call um, offering me some work with Jerry Anderson of Thunderbirds and that sort of fame. And at the time, he was doing a thing called Space Police, and I was really excited. I thought I was going to be making spaceships and aliens and all those kind of things. And um, it turned out to be a sanitary towel commercial for... Milan <laughs> and my job was to cut out something like 240 tiles and paint them white and then um, also to cut out I don't know how many hundreds of metal leaves and bend them in half for a, a weeping willow tree made out of metal because it was a stop motion animation okay. uh, advert it's very clever and then um, that was pretty much it so I did that and uh it was okay. It was a nice enough job. Got to meet Jerry Anderson, which was very cool, you know, childhood hero. And then went back to working in the pub and then sort of got kicked out of our flat and ended up living in the pub on the couch. And um, living in the pub, I ended up sort of doing every shift that anybody else couldn't be bothered to do. And my girlfriend at the time said, right, we're going out, otherwise you're never going to do anything else. So we ended up in town and um, went to an exhibition in another pub called the Cafe Munchen, which was which was quite well known at the time for getting, for having signings for comic book creators and film people and all that sort of thing. We went there, and there was a signing for the original Hellraiser film. And so I went upstairs and I spoke to some of the people up there, and said, oh, "I've just finished working on a, a project with Jerry Anderson, and I'm, I'm sort of looking for another project. Is there anything else?" Not telling them, of course, that I only like painted <laughs> a bunch of tiles white. Yeah, visual. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I, they said, oh, you know, bring your portfolio along and, and, and maybe in about a month we could, we could look at offering you some work. And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and I said, well, I haven't actually got a portfolio to speak of, um, but I've got some, some sculptures, which was not true. I'd probably, you know, I've got some bits and pieces, but nothing really to show anyone. And thought nothing more of it. And a, a month came and went, and I sort of rang them up just on the off chance. And they said, oh, well, we, can, you, can you bring your sculptures in tomorrow? 
I said, oh, I'm, I'm afraid I've got uh, I've got a job on tomorrow. I, I could bring him in the day after. And basically spent from putting the phone down to getting on the train, working on things to show them and delivered all these sort of wet models to them. And for whatever reason, they hired me. They probably just took pity on me, I think. And I ended up working um, on a couple of, of Clive Barker's other projects, which was kind of cool, good place to, to start. Definitely. Yeah, doing um, doing special makeup effects stuff. So it was uh, a very steep learning curve, to say the least. I didn't set anyone's world on fire. I wasn't particularly uh, capable or talented. <laughs> um, but they were quite forgiving, and I got you know got a decent bit of work out of it. And that led to a couple of other other projects, just from sort of knowing people. And then eventually, I um, moved to New Zealand after that. Right. Um, I know you worked at Ardman at one point. Was that a stint going back over from New Zealand? Or? Yeah. So so I came to New Zealand and, um, well, I started off working with Richard Taylor and, and uh, ended up working on, a, on, a, on one of Peter Jackson's films called Braindead, which was, you know, quite, quite the experience. And then um, worked on all manner of things. There was the Parliament Library burnt down. And there was a project to re-sculpt all of the sort of interior corbels and rondrels and all the sort of architectural details inside the library. (laughs) Fancy bits at the top of pillars and that sort of stuff. So I worked on that with a team for about a year. And then I think I might have moved back to England after that and ended up doing some some product model-making work for like Warner Brothers and, and... and Disney product stuff, you know, like toys and um, cereal giveaways and bubble bath bottles and those sorts of things, so product model making. And then I came back to New Zealand, had my own business for a while, and then um, ended up working on an animation project, stop-motion animation project, by um, Cameron Chittick, who is an irrepressible creator of of television and other such things, animated things generally, and um, discovered that I really liked doing stop motion. And uh, one of the nice things about working on that project was that they were bringing in a lot of... uh, New Zealand was quite a draw card, and a lot of people were coming from all over the world to to work on it. So, you know, I met several people from Ardman's that worked on it, and... um, people from the states and canada and just it was it was a really you know in australia it was a really good experience in that respect and ended up going back to the uk and um approaching ardman's and getting a job there and so did did chicken run with them which was again a massive you know an incredible experience probably the best employer i've ever had in terms of looking after their people and investing in their people quite quite remarkable uh um all the directors and uh, all of the sort of senior people. It, it was an incredibly flat organisation was what I'm trying to say. There was no sort of hierarchy there. You could talk to anyone. You'd all sit and eat together. The actors would come in, you'd eat with them. The whole thing was just a, a truly nice experience, you know. But um, It doesn't sound very British, to be honest. It sounds a bit more like an American model like Pixar or something. Um, I don't know, really. I mean... Not having any real experience with, with it. They, I don't know. I mean, they, they, they were just such a. I think 
they were surprised by how big they'd got Aardman's, or certainly the people in, in you know, the, the directors like Nick Park and, and um, Peter Lord were just the most unaffected people you could ever meet, really. It was a tiny little studio in, in Bristol that started off doing Morph and then did Wallace and Gromit and all of those things, and I think it grew and grew, and then they got this this deal with... Um, uh, I forget what they're called. Uh, DreamWorks, and and so I don't know. Maybe they were su- as surprised by it, by uh, as anyone, but it was just a very um, pleasant working environment. Very you know uh, informal and very uh, creative and supportive, and it was just really nice. But um, and then I moved on from there to the BBC, which was equally supportive and pleasant, and then came back to New Zealand. Mm. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, both times, what brought you to New Zealand? Both times. So the first time was a girl uh, who I hadn't known for very long. I'd known for about three weeks, but decided that um, she and New Zealand had more to offer me than London did at the time. So uh, she had to come back for her visa thing. And so um, she said, why don't you come with me? And I thought, yeah, why not? I'll go with you. And that lasted a week. (laughs) 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 And I was just too embarrassed to go back to London after a week having travelled all the way to New Zealand so I found myself uh, this, I moved to Littleton Christchurch initially and um, just found myself thinking well, what am I going to do you know I'm half a planet away from anything and I don't really know like I know how to work in a pub and I kind of know how to make puppets and I'm like do they even make puppets or makeup or stuff in New Zealand and I'd seen bad taste in London uh, in fact I'd been so impressed by bad taste that I used to um, get friends over and we you know like I just bore everyone senseless with it we used to have nights where we just watch it and so there was a, a video shop in in Christchurch called Alice in Video Land and so I went in there and I looked on the back of the packet to see, you know, what the name of the company was that had made it. And I talked to the person behind the counter and said, hey, look, you know, how would I get in touch with this Wingnut Films? And they suggested that I get hold of the New Zealand Film Commission. So I rang them up and they said, oh, well, you know, we're the, the producer's here. And they gave me the number of, the, of Jim Booth, the producer. So I rang him up and he said, well, we're not doing anything for about another six months. But there's a person that would be very, you know, very interested in meeting you, which was Richard. And so I got on a plane and came up to Wellington and was met at the airport and, and pretty much got work straight away and got a place to stay right away. And it was just, you know, incredibly fortunate. I was so lucky. Didn't realise how lucky I was, I think. And, yeah, just fell on my feet and that was that, really. And that ended up with the job on Brain Dead. I'd kind of love to talk about model making even more and stop motion animation and so forth, but... Well, we were going to leave out vast swathes of your life if I do that. So um, I guess the next thing was you've been doing that for a while um, when working in that sort of, in that film industry and for some reason you decided to go off and do a PhD. Yeah, so I, I came back from the experience in the UK with Ardman's and the Beeb and all of that and I worked on a project in Auckland which was, it was okay but it was... It was a very different environment work-wise to what, I, what I'd had in Ardman's. And then when I, was, when I was working for myself, I think I became a bit of a hack in as much as that the, 
the motivation was more to keep jobs coming through the door and to keep busy and to pay the rent and all that sort of stuff than actually the, the joy of making that stuff. So I didn't really enjoy it very much. And I anticipated that um, I would just go back to that. And I didn't really want to do those kind of, you know, two-day knock-em-out-quick jobs anymore. And I didn't really see myself fitting back into the film industry here. Or, I mean, I wasn't going to fit into the film industry here for various reasons. So um, the plan was initially to go back to work for Ardman's because they had another feature in in preparation. But they were being a bit cagey about it. And it turned out that that was because the feature they had lined up was about to fall over and they couldn't really tell us about that and they didn't want us to move back for it. So um, at the time I was doing my house up with a view to moving back to the UK and I did a bit of voluntary work at the zoo and just, you know, like a, a day's work volunteering at the zoo just made me feel so, I don't know, it just felt like I'd accomplished something. Do you know what I mean? Even though I was just like shoveling poo and mm -hmm. sweeping up and generally doing that, there was something quite magical about working with with the animals and just doing that kind of stuff. And so I'd always had an interest in zoology and particularly in anatomy because um, I thought that studying anatomy would make me a better sculptor. It didn't. Um, it probably made me a worse sculptor but because you'd overthink things. But anyway, um, so I thought, well, maybe I should, maybe it's time to do something different. Just thought I'd study zoology. So I went up to Victoria University to see what they had. And uh, I think they they were in a sort of transition period and they moved, they'd moved from like those individual zoology and botany and those sorts of topics to having a sort of overarching ecology degree. So I thought, oh, yeah, you know, that could be quite interesting. So I did that. And um, I didn't get to do any zoology for quite some time. I did sort of cell biology and, and botany. And I had this fantastic lecturer who said, you know, I know a bunch of you here are doing the ecology degree and you, you're just doing botany because, you know, you, you, you have to and it's a prerequisite. And I understand that. And plants, you know, they're not as cool as animals. They don't, they don't hunt and they don't run around and they don't, you know, they don't kind of have sex and they don't do this and they don't do that. And all of these other things that animals do that are really cool that plants don't do. And I can understand why you wouldn't be that interested. And he says, now look out the window. And he said, how many animals can you see? And there was nothing. They couldn't see any animals at all. And he said, how many plants can you see? And you couldn't count the number of plants you could see out the window. And he says, so these plants, they don't run around, they don't have sex, they don't do this. And he listed all those same things. And he goes, why is it that everywhere you look, there are plants? And that kind of made something in my, in my brain go bing and I thought that's just an amazing question and I was really sold on plants and how they worked for quite some time and so I got really interested in botany and particularly sort of physiology of, of plants and did a bit of that for a while and then ended up working at Tapapa as a well first of all doing um, installation of, of exhibitions and then that was kind of to pay for my degree or pay my way while I was doing my degree and then I thought, well, if I'm going to do zoology, I shouldn't be sort of doing arty stuff and uh, mount making and object support. I should try and do um, biological stuff. So I went and knocked on the door and said, hey, look, you know, can we, is there any work for me in the, in the natural environment stuff here? 
so I ended up being a technician in the natural environment section. And um, that sort of went on for a bit. And then I thought, well, I've probably done as much as I can with this, and maybe I should look at studying some more. So then I looked around, and it was suggested to me that you could actually earn $20 a week less doing a PhD, which is my main motivation, than, <laughs> than I could earn as a technician. And I thought, well, that's, that's a pretty good trade-off, really. So that's what led me into doing the PhD. And I ended up doing ants because that was something I was offered, and it was really, really interesting. Uh, and again, it was just a, a complete change of tack and a change in the way of, that I thought, and that in turn led to sort of ant management and working on those things in the Pacific and ultimately ending in working in biosecurity, which is what I do now. Right. Yeah, so a bit of a sort of circuit there from <laughs> thinking it might make me a better sculptor to now doing what I'm doing. Yeah, so, and, but botany was in your genes, but maybe not ants. No, not, not initially. And in fact, you know, I found it all interesting. It was all sort of shiny and new to me because I didn't even finish. Well, I finished school, but I didn't. I was a, an appalling student at school. I don't know what I left with, but not much, not enough to get a job and certainly not enough to get into university. So when I walked away from school, it was kind of, I was remarkably ignorant. And so, I, and I still am in many areas. It's only happened this tiny little area that I've worked in that is perhaps I'm slightly more knowledgeable about. But that's probably the thing that a PhD teaches you is that you really don't know as much as, you know, you only know a tiny, tiny little bit of the knowledge that's out there, even if you work at it really, really hard. <laughs> I need to, we've only got two more minutes. Okay. And we haven't even covered anything to acting, so I need to bring you back around to that. You said you dreamed of being an actor when you grew up, and now you do do quite a bit of acting. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, so I had been doing the PhD, and, and then I did... Um, I worked in conservation and I worked in a whole bunch of sort of sciencey areas. And I suppose I needed a creative outlet and I just happened to see an open audition for Stagecraft, which is a fantastic organisation that I've been with ever since. And um, I went in, did the audition, got, got a part, just absolutely loved it. it, sort of reminded me of everything that I wanted to do initially. And so um, the the opportunity to be a professional actor is probably gone, but it still affords me the opportunity to do acting in, you know, in, to, in a really um, supportive and professional environment. And perhaps not having the stress of, of competing with other people for a living, acting, it brings, you know, it allows you to focus creatively a little bit more. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just me fantasizing about it. I don't know, but. It, it, yeah, it's just something that I've ended up doing quite a lot of and, and really enjoyed and done, you know. Well, in 30 seconds, what yeah. have you been some of your favourite roles so far? Oh, gosh. I just did Gloucester in King Lear, which was um, just a huge challenge. I was I was not expecting it to be as difficult as it was. So perhaps that was up there. I played Big Daddy in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. That was another thing where I had to sort of dredge up parts of my personality that I really didn't think existed to, to try and do it. I don't know. I mean, everyone is, is cool. I've done some radio stuff with Radio New Zealand and they're, you know, just such a, a massively fast turnaround to come up with something and produce it and put it on the air. It's just, it's all good fun. I mean, Nice one. We yeah. have to sign all right. out. So okay. thank you, Alan Byrne. Thank you. Um, on B-Side Stories, Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. Thanks for listening. 
That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks, New Zealand On Air, for funding the Access Internet Radio Project.